Hey, everybody, welcome to Shores of Ignorance. Just wanted to take a quick second, say thank you so much for listening, send some love out to all of you. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Yes. Send us a DM, go to our Instagram, um, give us a follow. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. It's uh, it's something that in, uh, in the coming months, we're going to start, uh, start doing more stuff with trying to be able to engage you guys. So share with a friend. Tell somebody, tweet it, Instagram it. Yeah. All the stuff. Thanks for all your love and support. Thank you, guys. Here's the episode. It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab grab just turns to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of credit. It's a dream that you don't keep real. Passing over the songs. Glimmer, glimmer, shift, shift, see, see. Saw it, saw it. Birth was not my first memory. The line of consciousness goes back further. Further back into something completely different. Back to a beginning which has no proper description and no name. For it was free of all of the limitations of this enclosure. Darkness that was not dark. Warmth which did not end at the skin or once it had enveloped the body, but continued on without stopping into the mind and soul. Thoughts so full of life, but no words to call them by. Being and existence simply floating, unlimited by language or time. I've heard that Einstein once said, language is the barrier to all knowledge. I believe that to be true. It is language that filters what is in our minds and hearts. And when the rompous flood of thought, which begs to be spoken, transitions from within to without as only a trickle, language tells us that what it cannot describe does not exist. And so instead we pour it out onto the hot stove of pain and shame for it to evaporate quickly as if, it's, as if its existence were some mistake. And so a man who does not constantly work at his language is a slave to it. Perhaps that is why it is so important to me that you learn your language and use it well. Perhaps that is why I am so offended when people use language poorly and hiss at correction. It is as if they will not face what might possibly be expressed and do not understand that even the most beautiful and precise description is still only saying that the sky is blue. Welcome to the shores. Welcome to the shores. Cheers. Cheers. So we want to talk about language in this episode. Yes. Um, What you just heard was an excerpt from... Uh, a piece of writing that I did around my first memories. And it kind of revolves around language, which is a theme that's been coming up in our conversations and thinking over the last week. Yeah, it's, uh, sorry. (laughs) You're on your phone. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh, you just, you, uh, you remind me of something. So I want to have it queued up. Mm -hmm. I know. I love that. So Matt read that to me before the podcast. I was like, Damn, who wrote that? He's like, I did. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's something really beautiful about that. And, uh, I love what was the Einstein quote in that? Language is the barrier to all knowledge. And it's a quote that I learned many years ago mm-hmm. and have always attributed it to him. Uh, but I have looked and 
All, I cannot find any evidence that he ever said that. And I can't really find any evidence of anyone ever saying that. <laughs> Maybe you heard that before the world turned. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it's always made so much sense to me, um, specifically because I have this memory of, um, well, I have this memory of being born. Mm-hmm. And I have some memory of before that, too which I can only sort of account for as being in, in utero, some time before language was a fetter in my life. All right, I'm going to have you say again. Say the, say the quote again. Language is the barrier to all knowledge. All right. I have a little bit of a, something that kind of like tweaks me about that. Yeah. So language is the barrier of all knowledge. You know, is that is that something that, what is it that that sort of intuitive knowing that you might not have language for? You know, like is that is that a barrier that we can't have that we can't that language we don't have the language to explain it or to express it? Well, like embodied, so like there's a lot of embodied knowledge in. Mm-hmm. Right. Ritual. But then again, that's still a language. The ritual is the language. Huh. Interesting. I think another another way that I've heard it described um more recently is 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 through the description of um of symbol mm-hmm. and the observation that a symbol is what cannot be articulated. Yeah. It's the it's the rep- representation of what we can't articulate in if we were able to articulate it, we'd have no need for symbol. Hmm. So it is something that, yeah, it's, it's, it's knowledge, which is there and it's meaningful. You, Mm -hmm. you can interact with it. You can, it clearly has substance, but it isn't articulated. And to the extent that we articulate it, we begin to know it even more fully. Mm -hmm. So there is something about language and the spoken word which seems to be really, really important to our, to knowing. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I almost kind of like the the idea of the symbolic rather than using language in general. You know, it's like, I think there's something really specific that language has allowed us, you know? Like it's, it's, it's more of like possibly towards the end of embodying knowledge, you know? So it's like, you have something, you, it's inarticulate. You don't even understand what it is, but you act on it. And that action is still a symbol, symbolic in that there's something that you're acting out. And that action is a symbol of something that is within your consciousness or your soul or somewhere deep. Mm-hmm. And when you act it out in some sort of like physical representation of whatever that is, somehow you encounter it. Somehow mm-hmm. you, you, you make it tangible and then, and then, you know, if, like in sapiens, there's, there was a lot of those things in early history, um, like early, earlier history, like, you know, 10, 20,000 years ago that as you start to act out these things, embodied symbols, it starts to get codified in some sort of ritual, you know, and from ritual to, you know, you know, or language and ritual and then into some sort of, um, uh, 
maybe rite of passage or something like that, but you're trying to symbolize something that is, that is somewhere deep inside you that you're trying to manifest. I don't see very much difference between acting something out and language, Mm -mm. right? And so it it makes me wonder whether or not, well, do you know something if you can't express it? Can you, can you say that you know it if you can't express it? Uh, No, I, I, in this sense, I kind of look at like even childhood development, you know, it's like you see kids acting things out, like, you know, whether it be from, a baby crying that doesn't know, doesn't understand it's hungry, but it can tell you I'm hungry and that's why I'm crying or I'm uncomfortable or whatever it might be. You know, it's like, but as a child develops, you know, they're able to act out things. You kind of, as parents who have language and have kind of have more experience of the world, we can interpret those actions, those symbols that our, that our kids are giving us and sort of meet their needs. You know, at mm-hmm. first you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what do you want? You know, and, and, and as our kids, as our kids are able to articulate more, then we're able to have a shared understanding and they're able to express and, right. you know, um, so I, I, I kind of see that as language is kind of like further down the road. If like, you know, whether it's spoken language or written language, but that there's a sort of like, there's more of a primal sort of acting out something and you don't understand it, but you're acting it out. Right. <clears throat> and then, you know, there's some sort of a ritual could be formed with that. And at that time if, with a ritual, you don't even have to like, speak about it. You just see like, I don't know. We always go to church on Christmas. Why? Well, I, I don't know. That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. We, kids are acting it out with their parents at some point, like, oh, it's Jesus's birthday, or you know, whatever it might be. You know? Well, it reminds me of what we talked about on our, on the episode where we were remembering your dad. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that he taught you through oh. through example mm-hmm. that you didn't know that you knew. Yeah, you know, until at some point you did. Totally, you you entered into understanding of what you knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think. Well, what what is the value of knowledge? What is the value of understanding? I mean, you can have have things in you that you know that you can't express, you can't articulate, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So there's seemingly some paradox there. Yeah, I can know something but not understand it, mm-hmm. meaning it's serving me, yet I don't know much about it. Yeah. So once you come into relationship with it, then you can say, "Whoa, I knew this and I understood this, even though I didn't know that I did." Mm-hmm. And so it makes me think, okay, if, if this stuff is within you, if it's possible for something to be in you that you don't know, well, then you have knowledge which is trapped. Mm-hmm. And it's trapped, it's, it's trapped by your own lack of understanding of it, inability to articulate it, um, even though you may be able to act it out in some way. Yeah. It's still, the existence of, the, of it is... is necessarily requires interaction in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think, well, what good is knowledge if you can't express it and interact with it? And I think that's where the, the quote starts to make sense to me, that whatever is inside of me that I know, mm-hmm. the, the throttle for that is my ability to speak, mm. my ability to use words and actions articulately Mm-hmm. to express it into the world. Yeah. And if I don't do that, then what good is it? Mm-hmm. 
it's of no good, at least not in the way that we are situated in the world as alive human conscious beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've said this before that relationship seems to be a fundamental proposition of reality mm-hmm. and necessary to relationship is the ability to, to interact, to speak for me to take what is inside of me and allow you to enter it, to interact with it. And that's done through language. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, let me, let me think, uh, let me kind of take us to the negative of that is when people are speaking something that is not embodied, you kind of are, you kind of thrown off, you know, as far as like, like you're saying this, but I don't see it represented in the world around right, me. Right. Seems However, false. It seems false. You're trying, you want me to accept this sort of coda of knowledge that is not embodied or expressed in the world around me. So there's something, there's something off of that, you know, whether it be like, you know, as simple as for us today, a flat earth or something like that. You want me to believe that the earth is flat. It's like, that's knowledge, but it's, it's not correct. You know, there's something or like uh, an abusive husband or wife. He says, you know, like, I love you. It's like, you're, you're, you're saying these words, but the embodiment of those words are not true mm-hmm. as far as what I've learned love is supposed to be, you know? Well, <clears throat> yes, it is possible for someone to sort of hijack language to express things which aren't their own, meaning things that don't have any connection to to what they have inside to express. Mm-hmm. It's someone else's words, someone else's ideas that mm. they're using for some manip- manipulative reason. And, yeah. and I think you can feel that. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone tells a story, let's say, um, or, or quotes some information, yeah. you can tell when it's hollow, when it's not really theirs. Mm-hmm. It belongs to someone else and they're simply for, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Um, like plagiarizing it, yeah, in a sense, and not not plagiarizing just the words, but pla- plagiarizing where it comes from mm-hmm. and the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's funny because that's also a part of it's a part of that that uh, trying to make that connection with uh, you know, it's like something that that's learned and embodied and expressed versus something that is manipulated to, for control or whatever it might be. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, well, maybe I don't want to go there just yet. I think we need to kind of open this up a little bit more. Well, you know, it, it, it did make me think of the Island again. You know, it's like, you know, when you, when you start off in the world, it's like you have a small Island, you know, and you don't have a, um, a lot to work with. You know, you have a lot of unknowns. There's the world around you is, is, is completely confusing, you know, but you also don't know it's confusing, you know, and as you start to engage the world, there's things that you start to see, you know, whether it be like 
oh, there's these two people here and they seem to care for me and they feed me. And so it's like, I'm going to kind of latch onto these two people, you know, it's like, but you don't, you don't know that, you know, it's like, or if a kid felt unsafe in that environment, they might under, not understand why they, why they're, they're not, well, dude, that's crazy. Like why they don't feel unsafe or even what safe feels like, you know, it's like, and you can see that if your world is filled with malevolence early, it's like your island doesn't really grow very much. <clears throat> yeah. Well, let me <clears throat> let me propose something mm-hmm. that might be hard for me to do, but this what you just said made me think of this, and so I'll reference the um, origins and history of consciousness from mm-hmm. Eric Neumann, and he introduces. I don't know if this is his original concept, but to me, he introduced the concept to me of the Ouroboros, Mm -hmm. which is essentially the, the state of everything all at once. It's like the yin and the yang, but it's all mixed up. There's no separation. Mm -hmm. And within that exists everything. And I think to play off of what I read at the beginning about being born, I think that when you're born, I think I said something like all of your being being squeezed into some new enclosure. Mm-hmm. It is as if you sort of squeeze, and the Ouroboros is represented as the great round. It is everything within the round or a circle. It's, it's hard to talk about with articulate, it's hard to articulate, I think, because it's so symbolic. Mm-hmm. But it's as, it's as if when you're born, you are sort of squeezed outside of that. Mm-hmm. And everything that's in the Ouroboros becomes your unconscious. And as a, con- a now conscious individual differentiated from all that could be, mm. you must start extracting what is to be extracted from the unconscious, the unknown. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I think that you, you must master language. Mm. You must articulate what is unarticulated. There's something about consciousness which requires that articulation. And, and so that's almost the, the existential crisis in some sense of being a conscious human being is we, we must learn to extract who we are from the unknown. And this starts to be very much the analogy of the shores of ignorance. Mm. Your island starts off small. Almost everything exists within the deep of the ocean around it. Hmm. And you begin to pull from that and expand the island of what you know. Mm -hmm. And what you know is represented by what you can articulate, what you can express to the world through relationship, through acting things out, through speaking. Mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating that the, the biblical creation story happens as the result of God speaking. Mm-hmm. There is something about that speech, yeah. the articulation, which is important to creation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same as we build up our knowledge, our island, and as our ignorance also increases, which is the barrier between what we know and don't know, it is the act of, of speech which causes content and information to move from without to within. Yeah. It's also the ability to examine too. Like 
as you're able to name, things start to distinguish themselves. You know, it's like right. you distinguish your mom from your dad. Mm-hmm. It's not these two things. It's like mom, dad, or then sister, brother. Which or, is interesting because most young children say dad before they say mom. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's true, <laughs> but I think <laughs> I heard that. But it makes sense to me because you're born and you, don't, you have no need to name your mother mm-hmm. because you're with her. Mm-hmm. always your dad is like the first other <laughs> the first other which uh-huh. you have a need to differentiate yeah and so you learn his name that's fascinating i didn't put that together but that makes that makes a, it makes a lot of sense to me it's like yeah you know especially just you know throughout the ages of of mankind it's sort of like the the child is the mom is the main, well, not only the, the bearer and the one who gives birth, but also the one who feeds and cares. And the father, you could see it as that sort of the other, the first other almost. Yeah, and you, you name him so as to extract him from the otherness. Mm-hmm. Make him known. Yeah. This is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe at some point, if we kind of finish laying this groundwork, I want to I want to make some observations about language in our current culture. Oh yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Well, I mean, again, it's like I think that's one thing. You know, I think tools have always been seen as like one of the one of man's greatest accomplishments. You know, mankind. Um, but really language and communication mm-hmm. and relationship is probably our, our greatest accomplishment. It's what's allowed us to make use of tools. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like whether it was through, through grunts or pointing and stuff like that, but as people started to be able to work together mm-hmm. and to communicate, you know, you started to be able to have bigger relational, uh, groups, you know, from small groups to tribes to like, you know, to 150 to, you know, as communication grew, we were able to commune with more and more people. Coordinate, Mm -hmm. share more information. Exactly. When I love this idea that there is so much that can be encapsulated within language, Mm -hmm. you know, for instance, the use of a tool, it's like the first thing that you do is you name a tool. Yeah. You say, this is a hammer. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can teach somebody the different things they can do with that tool, and they probably will invent new things to do with the tool that you never did with it. Mm-hmm. But all of that gets encapsulated within the word hammer. And I can say hammer to you, mm-hmm. and you know I could use that to build something. I could use that to destroy something. I could use that to protect myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I could use that to fix something which is broken. Yeah. Um, all of that's encapsulated within that word. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the idea of, of there's so much knowledge trapped behind language. Yeah, even to distinguish between like a jackhammer, a jewel hammer. Right, uh, yes. You know, it's like a nail a nail. Yeah, hammer, so you, know, you say a hammer <laughs> and you have all of these categories. Sledgehammer. Yeah. But then you, you articulate it more mm-hmm. and you get more specific and maybe even more broad. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, because as I described hammer and then you say jackhammer, oh, that's a whole nother set of things that I wasn't originally encapsulating within the word hammer. Mm-hmm. And so you're extracting from what you, even from what you already know that you just don't have at hand by yeah. artic- articulating more clearly and more precisely. And it, and it becomes apparent in the application. Like you take a jewel hammer ver- and try to, you know, uh, dig up a, a driveway. It's like, well, that's going to take you a long fucking time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, uh, but if you take a jackhammer after a diamond or like a, something that's, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's, it's going to, it's going to, so like you see it in its actual application, its usefulness it's similarities, but it's also the differences within that, you know, yeah. a lot of people get hung up over the word love, you know, it's like, like we saw talked about the earlier is like, you know, a husband or wife is abusive to the other and, but they say, Oh, I love you. It's like, well, something's not right there. Like that's, there's, there's a mis misconnect of, of the word love that that's not, something's not working there. Yeah. It's like saying a jackhammer whenever you actually need a, um, uh, a bulldozer <laughs> or something like that. It's like, it's like, uh, well, love's a great example too, because, <clears throat> you know, so much of our art, so much of our music mm-hmm. revolves around the idea of love. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, I think it does so because we are constantly striving to articulate what it is that we know and mm-hmm. what it is that we know we know about that and what it is that we know we don't know about that. Yeah. And I, th- and I think we've all had this experience where, <clears throat> I think with love in particular, where you feel love, you know that you feel love, mm-hmm. and then you hear some song, some, you know, Tom Petty breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, give it to me. Mm-hmm. And you, you understand something about your own love. Mm-hmm. He's articulated something that you weren't able to articulate, and you think, yes, that's exactly what I feel. I understand better now. Yeah. Or you read some poem that almost makes no sense, but you identify the feeling. It's like the color, the shape, the texture. Mm-hmm. And you know something more about what was already inside of you. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the equivalent of specifying which kind of hammer you're talking about. Totally. Well, even like you think about marriage, like you, there's the, uh, the cliche, the honeymoon phase, you know? And it's like, you're in love, you know, it's like, but what are you really talking about? You're talking about a really, an infatuation, you know, it's like this love that's like, there are, there's nothing wrong with the world. Everything is right. You know, it's like, but then you start, you know, you start walking through life and, you know, many years later you have a kid and love means something different that Mm -hmm. these two people, you know, your, your wife produced this being you know it's like and you love this person but you also love your wife who also loves you know it's like there's there's something that that kind of grows in that that idea of love yeah i mean as you grow and and experience more and more of what love is your definition of it expands more and more Mm -hmm. and i think actually at its outer ends of that sort of expansion the overlapping of categories you know you you learn something about um honeymoon love Mm-hmm. And then you learn something about long lasting love and loyalty. And then you learn something about parental love. Mm. And then you learn how all of that seems to overlap with sisterly, brotherly love. And, mm. um, 
and then the categories keep expanding and they're different, but they're maybe more the same than they are different. Mm-hmm. And your, your understanding of love expands. And I think actually that's the idea of the Ouroboros. Yeah. Which is that at the ultimate sort of expanded definition, everything ultimately gets included. Hmm. Yeah. That is the undifferentiation of everything. Mm-hmm. And because we are conscious, we are differentiated and we think in categories. We, we think about us versus what is not us. Mm-hmm. And as we experience and articulate and express and relate, we start to understand. Where does malevolence come into this? Like, or, or something that's not deception, you know, like as far as like, because I, you're painting this really beautiful picture and discovering what love is. But at the same time as you're discovering what love is, you're also discovering what love is not. And, you know, this sort of like love ends up including everything. But it also, it seems like it does, there's this aspect, it does does also disclude certain thing or privilege itself over something else. Right, you know? right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because maybe that's where you get like the idea of heaven and hell, you know? Well, okay. So I think, I think my answer to that, well, in heaven and hell is, is still a differentiation. It's still mm-hmm. outside of the concept of the Ouroboros mm. and maybe a different framework. I don't know. But, yeah. um, you know, I think if, if speech allows us to understand what we know to free knowledge mm-hmm. from behind that, that, that fetter of language. Mm-hmm. Well, then you must speak truthfully. Mm-hmm. Otherwise that doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And so if you speak untruthfully, you are no longer engaging in that process of well, of interacting in the world in a way which frees knowledge, a way which is conducive, not conducive, in a way which is extracting what you don't know and don't understand from where it exists. Mm -hmm. You're no longer doing that. If you're not truthful, you you must be truthful in, in order to do that. And so I think malevolence is the manipulation of language okay, okay. outside of that framework mm-hmm. for some other end, some other reason. I want to manipulate reality to my own to my own design. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Like, so as you're talking about this and uh, as I'm listening to, to that and, it's sort of like, and I don't want to jump ahead to the the thing that you're talking about, like some of the, how we're doing it today just yet, but, um, there's a sort of, you're, you're talking as if there is something there, mm-hmm. you know, it's like where, you know, Jung might call it the collective consciousness, you know, that something that is there almost inherent within us that we all kind of agree and understand as 
say truth or love or you know speak truthfully well that means that there's something that you can actually speak that's false but is that just an agreed upon idea or is there something actually there that we we know and experience like again coming back to love it's like you can't just call you know someone punches you in the nose and cuts off your arm it's like i love you it's like it's like that doesn't match up with our collective understanding of love you know um okay so the question is well to speak truthfully means that there there has to be something to speak truthfully about mm -hmm. which actually exists yeah so truthfully like i mean because if you're asking to speak truthfully about something you're saying something that exists outside of you and I and our agreement, but that there's something outside of us that is true, whether you and I agree on it or not, but that we're seeking this, this thing that stands outside of us. And so, so it's not dependent on you and it's not dependent on me. Right. Well, okay. I think that it is through speech and language that you and I relate to something, which is the most conclusive evidence that there is something outside of us which objectively exists, mm. that there can be. So you could build up a model and say, well, if I see a flash out of the corner of my eye, did that, was that real, did that happen? Mm -hmm. I don't know. If I see it and hear it, mm -hmm. okay, much more likely that it was real. If I see it and hear it and feel heat on my skin, that's a lot more evidence that what I just experienced actually happened. Yeah. But if you and I are sitting here talking and I see it and I hear it and I feel it on my skin and I watch your eyes light up and you go, did you see that? Mm -hmm. And I go, I saw, and then we start talking about what we saw. And if our descriptions match, mm -hmm. that's sort of the ultimate evidence mm. that something real was there. Yeah, It's a much stronger evidence than your sensory evidence. Mm -hmm. It's like a verification. Like, did you see that? Well, it's, I, are you seeing what I'm seeing or I experienced? It, it, I mean, it's more than a verification. Mm -hmm. I think that, what is it? It's so much stronger than that. It's, it's mm -hmm. more than a verification of my senses coming into alignment and yeah. agreeing on something. I mean, the fact that you can not only have experienced the same thing, but we can talk about it. Yeah. And you can say... You can say things about it that I also knew to be true but didn't have the words to express. Mm. And that's even more verification yeah. that we just encountered something real. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating because, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of being uh, skeptic in this, in this. It's like you and I both experienced something and are, we're, trying, we're, we're grasping at words to be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. However, say ten, or someone else looks at the very same thing and they see maybe even something completely different. Like, actually, there was something over here that gave you the heat on your shoulder and that did this thing and this did that thing. But there was a different perspective. And so you bring that in and it adds a certain, it, adds, it brings a, another element into that, that shared experience. You know, it's like, but if you, if you stay with us two in our experience, it's like, we're still working through something and we're trying to come to truth, even though we might not see it correctly and it might take another 
few more viewpoints to get a better picture of what is actually happening. It's there's something about the engaging, even though we might not get it right and right off the bat, bat, you know, it's like, but something about engaging something that is there that is outside of us. That's true. Whatever it is, is true. Whether we describe it correctly or not. And in this sense, we're ta- talking about an event, but right. I think we can also be a little bit more abstract and talk about like love or, or, or whatnot, you know? Well, I, I kind of want to propose that it's objective reality and trueness in part mm-hmm. depends on our ability to describe it. Yes. Cause, cause you could say, well, it exists. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. It, it means what you can tell me about it and I can agree with you on. Mm-hmm. Or at least understand what you're saying. And the more articulate you are, it's like we all have this experience where you're trying to describe something and you're like, what, uh, what's the word? Mm-hmm. You know there's a way to describe it which yeah. would transmit meaning, which would transmit the truth. Mm-hmm. But if you can't find the word, then that truth is not transmitted. Yeah. <clears throat> and so this is back to the point of like, work hard on your language Hmm. because the trueness of the world somehow depends on it. It was so evident to me in that sense, whenever uh, Peterson and Fry were debating um, uh, Erickson and uh, no Erickson. Oh, shit. Oh, Malcolm. Not Malcolm. Malcolm Erickson. Chef oh, Raz's name. Yeah. Anyways, but Fry. Eric's and Malcolm. Eric Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. This is us getting to the truth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting, like listening to Jordan and Fry speak, it was like they were going towards something. But then when Erickson got up and was speaking, like he was just using word salad and gibberish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know what you're saying or what you're pointing to other than absurdity. And it would just, it was such a great example of, you know, as you're trying to describe the world around you and how it works and how it functions, it's like, I saw two people trying to describe and, and communicate something that's true about the world and somebody else who is just, speaking gibberish and not having anything of, of substance to actually say. Yeah. Maybe we should look that up quickly so that we can reference it because that really was a good example of, Mm -hmm. um, so it was a debate about political correctness Mm -hmm. and there was one side of the debate, which was clearly, it was evident that they were being careful with their words mm-hmm. because to communicate something, you must be careful with your words if you want to communicate it well and precisely. And then another side, which was kind of like we were talking about earlier, just the words were not their own. Mm-hmm. They didn't own them. Yeah. Not that they didn't... <clears throat> invent like you know make up the ideas or whatever it's not like they were plagiarizing directly from some manuscript it's just that he didn't own the words Mm -hmm. they were using them for some unknown goal yeah and it was clear and you could see when when it went back and forth there was sort of movement 
from one side, that, the side that was using their words carefully, and then it would move to the other side and it would just stop. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't go anywhere. And then it would move a little bit more and then it would just stop and not go anywhere. And if you, <clears throat> if you're, and the whole point of a debate is to go after truth. Mm-hmm. What is the truth? Well, I think the thing with Peterson was in that episode was like, you know, when, uh, I can't say Erickson, Erickson, um, said it, he just kind of like, then he made a jab. It's like, because of your white privilege. And Peterson was like, I, I just don't get it. Like, okay, let's kind of settle this right now. Is it because of, is my white privilege? Like, is it t- my 10%, is it 10% attributed to it? 20%, 80%, 90%? Like what? Let's just have be done with this now. It's like, like you. It's like it, it's not a hundred percent. We know that, you know. Yeah. So, just for reference for everyone listening, this was a, a monk debate. A monk debate yeah. called political correctness. It was between um, Jordan Peterson, Stephen Fry on one side, and Michael Erickson, Michael Eric Dyson, Eric Dyson, yeah. and Michelle Goldberg on mm-hmm. the other side. Yeah. It was a really great debate. It was a great debate. It it wasn't great in that it wasn't really ever about political correctness, which was what it was supposed to be about. But <laughs> so, it was it illustrated so many other interesting um, interesting points mm-hmm. about how to communicate and um, the I would I think I would say the the sort of like political nature of communication. And so this is maybe a good point that um, politics almost always hijacks language mm-hmm. for untrue purposes. Yeah. And I'm not really sure there's any way out of that. I think politics kind of has to be that because I hate that. I don't, I don't want to agree with that, but I don't, I, think, I, I don't, I don't want, want it to be true. I don't want to believe that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's pivot a bit because we've been, what have we been? <laughs> we've been waxing philosophical about these concepts and I, I do want to move us into, well, so I hope that maybe we've made the point that it's important to be, well, this is Peterson's thing, right? Be precise in your speech. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is really important. And I have thought that that was important for all of my life, mostly because I have this memory of birth. And um, by the way, for all of you listening, I know that's absurd. And if you don't <laughs> believe me, then that's totally fine. Um, but if there is something to be known, you can only know it to the extent that you can accurately articulate it and express it. And if, then, if that's the case, and that is my claim, then it's important to be, well, to work as hard as you can to master language as much as you can. Okay. So I'm making the proposition that language is supremely important. Now, there's a couple of things that I think we've, ident- we've, we've noticed to each other recently that are going on. Um, maybe it's occurred to us over the last 18 months. You know, COVID was this weird um, landmark in time. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of things started to happen around that time. And I'm not sure if that's just the easiest sort of, you know, like landmark to identify or, or if it was happening before or slightly after. Um, but there seems to be an obsession with redefining of words Hmm. lately. Yeah. 
And that to me is a really terrifying warning of something really, well, potentially malevolent going on. Because if language is about figuring out what you can know, Mm -hmm. and truth is primary to that, and then the importance is that, that we understand each other as we relate via language. And if one person starts to redefine a word without telling the other person, Mm-hmm. That's, I think, in in some way, the core of malevolence. And just to uh, hijack language to mm-hmm. interrupt this process of truth seeking. Well, even that, it's like, like if you redefine a word, you know, it's like to be, give someone the benefit of the doubt. It's like, okay, this is what I understood that word to mean. So what, what is that word that I that I thought it was? is now. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some of it, it's sort of like, it's almost like an erasing of certain words, you know, it's like, um, or, or even ideas like where, you know, Martin Luther talks about like, you know, that we all sort of like saw and agreed. And there was some truth in that, that we all sort of, um, like I was influenced. I think we were more influenced by these ideas of like, you know, the content of your character and not the color of your skin. You yeah. know, it's like, there was something really true about that. And there's something that has come into the dialogue now that there's something that the color of your skin tells us something about your character. And that kind of like goes against something that I felt was a lot more true, which was the content of your character trumps any other externalities, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether the color of your skin, whether you're from, France or China or the U S you know, your character trumps any of those external characteristics. Right. But somehow it's, it's gotten redefined in that, you know, it's like, no, actually these, these aspects of you that you have no control over your skin color or your, uh, political affiliation. Well, sorry, you don't have control over that. <laughs> uh, uh, you know where you're from, or or whatever it might be that you don't have control over, actually has a great impact, or the the greatest impact over the character over your character. I think I kind of stumbled over a few things there. <laughs> yeah. Well, this goes back to what we were talking about last week with the, the idea of inversion. Mm. I mean, that is, <clears throat> that is a great inversion. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's not the color of your skin, it's, it's your character. Mm-hmm. That was the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then now, the color of your skin defines your character. Mm-hmm. That's an inversion. It's somewhat of a redefinition, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm talking more specifically about actual terms. You know, so, so for instance, um, the CDC has redefined the word vaccine. Oh, yeah. Um, they put out a definition in uh, 2015, I think an updated definition in 2017, and then they updated again in 2021, and we can pull these up. Um, Jamie, pull those up. <laughs> oh, no? 
Luca, can you pull this? You can just say, Michael, pull it up. Michael, <laughs> pull it up. Okay. <laughs> I took a picture of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so definition of terms, here's the 2018 version. A vaccination, the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. Um, Updated September 1st, 2021, vaccination, the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protection from a specific disease. So the key difference there is produce immunity or produce protection. Now, terms get redefined through colloquial usage all of the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessitate a redefinition. Dictionaries will eventually get updated. Yeah. But you know, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, you say something to me, uh, you, you do something, I'm like, that's bad. <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. Uh-huh. You don't need Miriam Webster to tell me, tell you that I'm complimenting you, that mm-hmm. you just did something well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, um, a cultural shift, thanks to, you know, Michael Jackson or whoever else, that we know, it's like we use terms in ways that they're not supposed to be used in order to more accurately express what we want. Yeah. This is this is part of mastery of language mm-hmm. actually is using terms incorrectly in a way that's understood. Yeah. Um like swag for the kids now. <laughs> okay, but this is different. Mm-hmm. This is a subtle change in definition without a change in usage. Yeah. Okay. We're not using vaccination differently than we used to, but we're changing the underlying definition the CDC is, in order to fit a desired narrative. Mm-hmm. And this is the manipulation of reality. It, it, it is the manipulation of our own language out from under us to prove something to be true, which we cannot communicate to be true because we're not using the word that way. Mm-hmm. And this has happened quite a bit. It happened with, um, who was the justice that, uh, the the last Supreme Court justice that Trump nominated that that woman Barrett Comey Barrett oh Comey Barrett yeah what was it she said something about um, preference. sexual preference yeah and you know she she got all this backlash for it mm-hmm. and the next day the Merriam Webster Dictionary redefined the word yes. in order to fit the backlash mm-hmm. okay this is a manipulation of reality a manipulation of what language is intended to be used for in order to fit a desired outcome. This is malevolence. Mm -hmm. And in Amy Comey Barrett's case, the whole thing was we hate Trump and we hate her by extension. Mm -hmm. And so we'll take her down in whatever way that we can, even if we have to redefine words to do it. Yeah. This is scary to me. And I, you know, look, I'm I'm making no statement about Trump or Amy Comey Barrett Mm -hmm. or vaccines. Yeah. But if we are redefining words out from under the people who are using them in order to take them down, we're going nowhere good. Mm -hmm. It is so important that we use language in order to speak truth so that we can know more. Because that isn't that what we want, is to know more. And I think that the people who seek to redefine words are saying, we know everything that needs to be known 
And now we will manipulate language in order to exact our will on reality. Mm-hmm. And that's really scary. Well, let me just push on that a little bit. Like, what if this is not also just an update? Like, like we're in an information age where, where information is passing so fast. And so it's good, it's good and necessary for us to update our language and to be maybe more inclusive or are exclusive of certain things in order to better describe this new world that we're living in. That's not the antiquated world of the 1950s or the 1800s or whatever it might be. And that we need to be able to update our vocabulary in order to, um, to better fit this new world that we're encountering, you know? Yes. And, and, that is a necessary, mm-hmm. it's a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Someone said something of, said something like there, there, no one is a great author unless they invent their own words. Mm. And you look at Shakespeare, for example, invented words all of the time. Mm. And I think the statement is meant to say that language itself has limitations and you can't be considered a master of that language or Mm -hmm. a master author. You can't be a master author unless you're a master of the language and you can't be a master of the language until language itself itself starts failing you. And so you must invent new words. Mm -hmm. Okay. So obviously there is a need for language to evolve, Mm -hmm. to change. I think my point is, as I said earlier, the definition of words evolves all of the time mm-hmm. and it's no problem for us yeah. because we understand the evolution. We, we understand that we're using them differently. Yeah. We understand that we're using bad to mean good mm-hmm. or um, shorty to mean <laughs> boo to mean the person that I love. <laughs> uh, you know, we're not talking about someone short or a ghost startling someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all understand this. We don't need Merriam-Webster to tell us this. We don't need the CDC to tell us this. Yeah. We understand this because we're using the language. It's evolving as we're using it. Mm-hmm. These are not th- those cases. Hmm. These are not the cases of definitions being updated to match how we use them. That's the big difference. Yeah. We were still using the words in the same way, and we went back and changed the definition in order to fit the story that we want to be telling. Well, in the case of the vaccine, like I brought this up to someone earlier and they're like, well, you know, it's like the flu is not the flu vaccine is really not a vaccine because like there's no guarantee that you'll be immune from it. And uh, my argument that was like, you know, I was like, well, I mean, my understanding is that, you know, it's usually a different strand that the vaccine was not intended for. So the vaccine is effective against those things that it was intended for but not maybe not as effective for those things it was not intended for, like a different strand of flu. Like where polio and, and some of those other ones, those are actual, those are vaccines that are very targeted for yeah, immunity. But I, I mean, without getting into the weeds on yeah. these definitions, mm-hmm. I would say just look at the way that we use the words. Yeah. Like what do you say if you want to know that somebody um, was inoculated against the flu? 
Yeah. You would say, did you get your flu shot? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say, are you vaccinated against the flu? Yeah. We understand that there's a difference between the shot you get for the flu and the shot you get for measles, mumps, rubella. Mm-hmm. And, and it, we don't even really need to articulate the difference. It doesn't really matter to us much, but we understand mm-hmm. that they're different. Yeah. Because you get the MMR and then you're done, right? Mm-hmm. Immunity. That's what you have. Yeah. You no longer get those things. Mm-hmm. You get the flu shot every year. Yeah. And we understand that it's like, well, we could call it a vaccine or could not call it a vaccine. It's just like, did you get the shot this year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So we understand the difference and our language doesn't, the definitions don't need to update for our understanding to continue on. Hmm. Gotcha. But now we're redefining the word vaccine in order to fit Well, in order to resolve our previous understanding of the definition of word vaccine to now incorporate what we had differentiated in the flu mm-hmm. so that we can incorporate COVID. Yeah. And my point here is not whether any of that is useful mm-hmm. or any of that is true. Mm-hmm. It is to raise a flag and say, I'm seeing this everywhere, and I kind of wish I would have spent some time to like document more of these redefinitions, because there's quite a few of them. Totally, yeah. Um, if you think of any more, bring them up. But I've got two or three screenshotted, okay. uh, but I, I couldn't bring them up right now. Okay. But that's one thing. I, I would love to like create a website of like all the definitions that I've changed over the last, like, over the last 18 three months. Years. 18 months. Or yeah. three years, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really quite impressive, like... I'm just, I'm kind of right. baffled well, by it, actually. Well, I think, I think um, uh, male and female mm-hmm. have been redefined. And again, it's not about usefulness mm-hmm. as much as it is about if we are redefining the language sort of forcefully, not as a matter of course through interaction and expression in pursuit of truth. Mm-hmm. And, I, and by pursuit of truth, I mean specifically truthful speech in order to extract knowledge from what we don't understand. Mm -hmm. If we are redefining words in order to do do that, there's something manipulative about it. Yeah. Which means there's something malevolent about it, Mm -hmm. which means that we are heading somewhere, not light, but dark, like not truthful, but false. Mm -hmm. We're building a structure which will not hold. And there, and there will be a violent outcome if we take that far enough. Whether that violent outcome is um, collapse or division or war or confusion, mm-hmm. obfuscation, I don't know. Could be any of those things. But we're open to all of those now. Yeah. We're vulnerable to those to the extent that we continue down the path of redefining words in order to fit what we want to be true mm. rather than using words to describe what we know to be true. Yeah. That, I think that's the point. Are we, are we adapting language to what we want to be true or using language to describe what we know to be true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you got my head spinning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think 
I mean, there's something too. It's like if you're if you're listening to to this podcast, it's like you know if that's something that we're so interested in and something that we are Matt and I spent a lot of probably a ridiculous amount of time and like trying to understand like what are people saying? I mean, I think we spend that. I mean, whether you're dating somebody, you're you're trying to understand what they are saying. What are they communicating to me? Yeah, are they wanting? a partner in this relationship? Are they just wanting to have sex? Are they just wanting to have some companionship for a time? And what do they mean by all of those what things? What do they mean by all those things? But we're always trying to understand what people mean. Yeah. And we're trying to pick up on these clues. And language is one of the biggest clues that we have. Like, And if you speak truthfully, it's easy to know. It's like, hey, this is not going to work out because I'm interested in having kids. Or this is not going to work out because of X, Y reason, or, Hey, I'm really into you. And I feel like we share a lot of things in common and let's kind of pursue this and see where this goes, you know? But the thing is, is like, you're trying to, you're always trying to in relationships (laughs) to provide some more, more clarity. I mean, even after being married for 20 years, 19 years, you know, it's like, it's like we're always seeking more and more clarity. And it's not that you, that you arrive somebody where it's like you are continually pursuing this and it's, you're changing, your partner's changing, you know, it's like your circumstances are changing and you're continually having to encounter and, and define the world around you. And it just makes me think like you, you make a statement like that, you know, I could ask you, you know, what does it mean to be a partner? And you're Mm -hmm. like, well, it just kind of means that we're going to, pursue what seems uh, right to us. And my understanding of what you say is predicated on the fact that I don't have to stop and make you define the words kinda, pursue, partner, and right. Yeah. I need to have a shared understanding of those things. Mm -hmm. And if you, let's say, decide to redefine the word pursue... Mm-hmm. You could say, well, I, I th- or I could say, I think the word pursue means to actively engage and seek something out. Mm-hmm. And then you decide, well, pursue means to sit patiently and be open. Mm-hmm. But if you don't tell me that that's what you mean, oh, interesting. and you continue to say, I just really want to pursue this relationship, mm-hmm. you're going to have a catastrophic result. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, for one to pursue means to kind of like to wait and see. And the other is to be active and engaged. It's right. Like that kind of like again, you're doing goes back two to different the hammer. things. Well, it also comes back to the yes, hammer. The, right. The jackhammer versus the Well, and the that's where the malevolence jewelry. is. It's like I'm saying, oh, I want to use a hammer. Mm-hmm. And you keep bringing the jackhammer and I'm saying, you know, <laughs> this isn't working. I'm sorry. And you're like, well, I'm using a hammer. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, but it's just not working. And I never tell you that I meant the jewel hammer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it falls apart and then you complain. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, go look up the definition of hammer and it describes a jewel hammer. Mm-hmm. See, it didn't work because you didn't understand the word. Yeah. It's like, no, you manipulated me by redefining the word yeah. without telling me. Mm-hmm. Or even in that instance, it's it's not even about manipulation. I mean, that manipulation can, can fall into that. It's it, in that, almost that instance. It's almost like a misunderstanding. It's like not being able to articulate well 
where like I'm bringing a jackhammer, you're bringing a jewel hammer. It's like you're wanting a jewel hammer. It's like it's like <laughs> well, I, just, I, I don't know. So so this was the, that I think that they're. Well, we're using this very yeah. arbitrary, trivial example of a hammer, but going <laughs> totally. back to vaccine, yeah. it's manipulative bec- so that you can say, well, it was a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. We were using it this way. Yeah, yeah. We've updated the language. This is actually more accurate. Mm-hmm. Y- sorry, you were thinking the wrong thing. Yeah, that's like so 2018 of you. Right. <laughs> Two, so 2018 of you. Right. <laughs> That's why it's manipulative. Or August 31st. Of because Jesus. if I <laughs> redefine the word, then I can just claim misunderstanding. Uh, interesting. Well, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother element right there. Like that's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I, so it's like, but then, so the person who had the August 31st, 2020 understanding of vaccines would be like, Okay, so my understanding of how you're describing a vaccine now is more as a therapeutic. So are all vaccines therapeutic? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, are some vaccines different? So like a measles MMMRR, MMR, whatever, is different from a COVID or maybe a flu shot or something like that. It's like, well, in this, so yeah. So, <laughs> so if the new definition makes it seem like more more like another agreed upon definition mm-hmm. so it's like well we've redefined it well that seems more like a therapeutic well then now we have to redefine therapeutic so that we can differentiate that from what we're talking about mm-hmm. and that cascade has to go forever and that reminds me of the tower of babylon oh interesting you know mm-hmm. god confused their language babel yeah but yeah. tower tower of babel <laughs> sorry <laughs> but, you know good correction um the language was confused so that no one could be productive anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So if we can't know what we're talking about and we can no longer differentiate between what has been redefined and what hasn't been redefined, and we have to go through this whole redefinition process of all the words that are affected by this, mm-hmm. well, we're kind of fucked. Yeah. Like, we're fucked in the sense that we can't be productive. Mm. We can't. We can no longer engage in seeking truth because we're spending all of our time trying to figure out how do we even talk about that? Uh, just to get the ridiculous example of two plus two equals five. Like there's been so much effort in describing how two plus two could equal five. And I've seen examples of it and it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's like, you know, that's another great example of redefinition of terms. Mm-hmm. Two plus two can equal five. So long as you, um, redefine the units mm-hmm. so i don't remember the exact example but it's like two plus two equals five as long as you're dealing in base three mm-hmm. but then you still have the same outcome you're just representing it differently yeah you're just redefining right. the terms or you yeah. could say uh if you have a factory with two machines in it and another factory with three machines in it One plus one equals five. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But that's, you're redefining the terms. Yeah. You're switching the terms from the, from the left side of the equation to the right side of the equation. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to confuse. Yeah. Not to clarify. Mm-hmm. So the point, 
stops being about the pursuit of truth. That's a great, I, that's the best way to explain it. Two plus two equals five. And that confusion around it is if one factory has two machines and the other factory has three machines, then one plus one equals five. Yeah. That, I think that was, that's a very clear example of the ridiculousness of this argument. It's right. like, if you re- redefine the terms in that way, then yes, that's right. a true statement. Right. But that's not what two plus two is. Two plus two, well, any math equation depends on the units all being the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's just actually just a more complex equation. It's like, then you could just say, uh, well, shoot, Y2 to the Y3. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's yeah, really yeah. not how we would actually uh, yeah. do that problem. Yeah, but, but we have to agree on the terms in order mm-hmm. for two plus two equals four mm-hmm. to, well, to make to make sense. Yeah. And to make sense over... You could say... Over many different y- games. You could also say two plus two equals X. Well, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, it yeah. depends on what we agree X means and what two represents. Two what? Mm-hmm. Two apples plus two oranges equals X. Well, solve for X. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What What are you going for here? Four fruits. For, yeah, so yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, are we agreeing that the right side of the equation, the category is fruits? Mm-hmm. Then... X equals true. Yeah. Or sweet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, uh. but it, well, off into the weeds, I'll defer to James Lindsay on all of this because <laughs> he has spent many months <laughs> discussing this on Twitter. Well, but again, it's like, it, there's a element to confuse. It's like where, you know, when engineers building a, a bridge, it's like, the, the the terms are very well defined and accepted. If we keep changing right. them, then you could be like, one engineer is using one set of terms, another engineer is using another set of terms. It's like, that bridge is going to collapse. And this is back to the idea of, if our language is confused, then we can't be productive. What does it mean to be productive? Yeah. Can you build a bridge that doesn't collapse mm-hmm. and kill people? Yeah. That's productive, if you can. If you can't, it's not. And not being productive isn't just not producing more. Mm-hmm. It's has deadly consequences. Or governments for that matter. You right. know, it's like if you if you don't have clearly defined terms, then who is the ruler? The one who defines the terms. Yes. The king. Yes. The dictator. You know. And he will always rule. Mm-hmm. Because he can always redefine the terms to Mm -hmm. his advantage. And that's why in the U.S. specifically, which is different from the French Revolution, is rights are inherent in the individual. And in the French Revolution, where I feel like they got it wrong, was like the government gave the rights to the individual. And I think there's something inherently beautiful about how our rights are inherent to the individual. And the government is there to uphold and... And serve the individuals of the society mm-hmm. rather than you have imparted those rights onto the individuals of that society. Yeah. It gives it gives sovereignty to the individual rather than to the state who then imparts it on the individual. Hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a hugely important part that we got right in the US, you know, as far as like in our early stages is absolutely rights are inherent in the individual and the government is there to support and protect, protect. And so it's contingent on the individual to express those rights mm-hmm. so that the government knows what it's protecting. Yeah. So it's in, it's contingent. 
it, it is the obligation of the individual to learn how to speak, to learn how to articulate, to learn how to mm-hmm. express, to learn how to say, you know, at first as a baby, no, mm-hmm. and then later on, yes. Well, the government's there. They're a public servant. I think that's the best use of servant is as far as a, a government is is concerned. Hmm. Like the people are not there to serve the government. The government oh, there is, is to serve the people. Well, what does a servant do? It listens mm-hmm. and to the best of its understanding and ability serves what it hears. Mm-hmm. Where, again, we're back to inversion, is you do feel this sort of inversion of the government is the sovereign individual and the people are the servants of the, the government. The ones to listen and mm-hmm. adhere, comply. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well. Are we on two hours? No. Oh. <laughs> it's hour 12. Hour 12. <laughs> um, Probably a good place to wrap it up, though. Yeah. I, I, it's a bit of a dark way to close, but I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's right because I think we should all be a little bit afraid. Not necessarily of our times. I mean, I'm a bit afraid of our times, but something about. Um, Reverence, mm. and when it comes to language and in the power of language, the power of speech, I think we should have a bit of fear mm. of that power, but also hope because the more we can learn to engage and wield the power of language, well, I think the more sovereign we become as individuals. Mm. So go read books, yeah. have conversations, struggle with words, learn other languages. And people you disagree with. And, and people you disagree with and write. Mm-hmm. Sit down and write your thoughts down. Mm-hmm. You will learn things that you didn't know that you knew. Mm-hmm. You will learn things that you didn't know that you had inside of you. Totally. By articulating them. Mm-hmm. And once I think you get sort of a taste for that, you'll realize, holy shit, language is the barrier to all knowledge. Mm. And I can know everything if I work at my language. I think you need to talk to the artist also. Talk to the artists. (laughs) No, you need to. (laughs) I need to talk talk to them. Like right there. What the artists need to do. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little yes. vague. <laughs> that was a little vague. <laughs> do, you, do you talk to the artists? Well. Give them a word. I'm encouraging. Talking, I'm talking to Matt, too, here. <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> no, I think that's the thing. Is like we need our artists to speak the, the symbols, the, un, the, the things that we can't say, we can't articulate. It's like yes. the artists are the ones who go before us and teach us and help us better articulate what we mean and what we know to be true. And so I think that's something that Matt and I will continue to do. And I'll continue to be on Matt's ass about this is like, <laughs> we need the artists to, to step out there into the unknown. They're the ones most known for this. And, uh, and also the rest of us that might not be artists in the same way, but 
to go out into the unknown and to articulate. We need yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> that was convicting. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just want to encourage everyone. This is not specific to artists. Mm-hmm. If you have something to say, say it. Mm. The world will be a worse place if you don't. Mm-hmm. Call a friend and just say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it. Write it down in your journal at the very least. At the very least. That's excellent advice, yeah. If you have something to say, say it. Mm-hmm. Move it outside of your brain into language and put it into the world. Mm-hmm. The world will be a better place if you do that. Totally. Cheers. Cheers. We love you guys. Love you all. Thanks for listening. (laughs) See you guys. Bye.